I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I could, uh, I could walk on water right now. <laughs> Brother Andy, thank you guys for, for leading us. Praise team, thank you guys so much. Man, if that doesn't bring you joy, I don't know what does. Good thing is, I got some more stuff to bring to you that I think will put a smile on your face and give you a little hope in your heart, and that's the word of the Lord. And so I've been known to be a little bit animated. In fact, my wife, Katie, and, and my oldest, Abigail, they tend to give me a hard time. I, I help coach one of uh, Cooper's team. Cooper's my, my nine-year-old. He plays on a little seven- and eight-year-old ball team. And I love coaching third base because at third base, you get to do the whole deal where, you know, you get to send them home, you know. And, and I'll be running down the line with them, right, trying to get them home. And, man, I just get excited. And they were telling me yesterday, we had a little tournament yesterday, all-star tournament. And they said, Brandon, you're going to have to dial it back, brother. You're going to have to dial it back. And I said, I don't know if I can do that. I get excited. And so this morning, I feel like, feel like that. I, I'm going to send you guys home, right? I'm not really going to send you home, right? Uh, I want you guys to stick around with me. But I feel like that. I, I want to I send you guys to the word of the Lord this morning. So if you will, I want you guys to go ahead and get out your Bible. And I want you to get turned to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to finish up chapter 9 today, but I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about what we've been studying the past couple of weeks, right? We've been in Acts chapter 8, and Brother Jeff preached on the first half of Acts chapter 9 last week, and he used a phrase the last couple of weeks that has just resonated with me, that has just stuck with me. In fact, I was doing some yard work or something earlier this week, and I was listening to another passage and another message, and the same phrase came up. You ever had that in your life where the Lord put something, a phrase or a thought into your mind, and you just can't quite get it out. And this phrase that has been coming up over the last week or two for me is this idea of divine appointments, the idea of divine appointments. I think that the Lord works in mysterious ways. I think that the Lord works in miraculous ways. And I think that there are often times where he puts special circumstances, special people in our lives, and he gives us the opportunity to experience what I would call divine appointments. So if you think back to chapter 8, we read about Philip and the Ethiopian. Do you all remember Philip and the Ethiopian? Philip, who was chasing after the Lord, who was learning in the Lord, who was being sanctified in the Lord, is called to the desert road. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been called to what we would call, or what we would think of as the desert road, but maybe you have. Maybe you've been called to a place that didn't make any sense. You've been called to a place where it just seemed like the desert. For some of you, and I, listen, I, I speak this because, um, because I think that it may be true for some of you, but not necessarily true for me, but you may think of Start, Louisiana, as a desert. Maybe you've been called to this place and you didn't know anything about Start. Now, I get that Start doesn't look like a desert, but maybe you were called here and you thought, Lord, why in the world would you send me to Start, Louisiana? Now, this is home for me. I didn't grow up here, but this is home for me, and I love Stark. Like, it, it's probably my favorite place I've ever been, but that's just not the, the case for everybody. Maybe you have been called here for a purpose, and maybe you haven't exactly seen that purpose yet, and you see Stark as a bit of a desert in your life. But maybe it was somewhere else. Maybe God was sending you to a literal desert. I have no idea where God has sent you and called you to go, but I, I guarantee you that at some point in your life that either you have or you will be called to a place that felt a bit like a desert. Well, Philip trusts the Lord, and he goes on this road, this desert road between Gaza and Jerusalem, this long road, and he's like, all right, Lord, send me to the desert, and I'll go. I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us that Philip gets a word. He says, hey, you're going to run into an Ethiopian eunuch there. All we know is that Philip was called to this desert road, and Philip chose to go. But as he's traveling down this desert road, he runs into a fella. 
a, a fellow that happens to be in pretty high standing with the queen of the Ethiopians. And all we know that he is an Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip is near him. And he hears him reading. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you all remember what the Ethiopian says? He's reading the word of the Lord. And he says, listen, I need somebody to help me understand this. Right? Whenever I first read that, I thought, well, maybe it's in a different language. So if I read something in a different language, like, it's just not going to make a whole lot of sense to me. I studied a little bit of French growing up, and I've been to Honduras a couple of times. So there's a few words that I can pick up that maybe are in another language. But if I'm reading the scripture, if, truth be told, like sometimes I have a hard time understanding it in English, much less in French or Spanish or whatever, right? And so this Ethiopian is reading this message from the Lord, this, from the prophets. And he says, Philip, I need somebody to help me understand this. And you know what Philip does? Check this out. It's one of my favorite verses. Let me find it real quick. As Philip is on the road, he says, do you understand what you're reading? That's what Philip asked him. And the Ethiopian says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains to me. And so Philip jumps up on the chariot and sits with him. And this is verse 31, sorry, verse 32. And he goes through the reading of the passage. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? And then Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. Man, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what does. Philip's like, I'm going to take this opportunity that you have given me, Lord, with this Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm going to take where he's at in the scripture, and I'm going to help him see that. But guess what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell him the good news about Jesus. Because really, that's all that matters, right? There's a lot of things that we can talk about in scripture. But if it doesn't point back to Jesus... I'm not so sure that it has much of a purpose, right? And so everything in Scripture, from creation to revelation, everything points back to Jesus. And Philip grasped that, and he was willing to share the good news about Jesus. And so what we see, this is how Brother Jeff said it. He said, Philip experienced a divine appointment by the Lord on this desert road. And so the Lord had already set up this appointment, whether Philip knew it. Philip was willing to go, and he met the Ethiopian eunuch, and in this divine appointment, he got to share the good news of Jesus. That's pretty cool, right? And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you weren't sure where this desert road led to, but you saw the Lord, and you believed the Lord, and the Lord was able to speak through you on the desert road. That would be a great opportunity. But here's another divine appointment. Go to the beginning of Acts chapter 9. We're already in Acts chapter 9. And so last week, Brother Jeff talked about this fellow named Saul, right? Now, Saul, there's a couple Saul's in the Bible. There was a Saul that came before King David, King Saul. But this Saul was the Saul that would have been one of the uh, Jewish leaders. And at first, Saul didn't quite grasp who Jesus was. In fact, we read at the beginning of chapter 9, he said that he was breathing out murderous threats against the believers. Saul thought this Jesus dude was, was not real, was not the Messiah that they had been looking for. And instead, he was going to make sure that those who started believing Jesus had, had their act together, right? And he started pulling them out, and he started breathing, breathing these murderous threats. He started pulling them out of synagogues, and he started throwing them in prison. But guess what? The Lord got a hold of him. How many of you have ever been on a road, and the Lord needed to grab you by the ear, grab you by the collar, and put you straight? And that's what the Lord does here for Saul. And so instead of being an appointment by the Lord, Saul has a divine appointment with the Lord. So he's traveling to Damascus, right? He's actually traveling for persecution reasons. He's going to find some more folks to beat up and to give a hard time. And the Lord gets a hold of him. And he grabs him by the ear and he says, Saul, Saul. And Saul says, Lord, who are you? And he says, it's Jesus, who you've been persecuting. 
And he says, I want you to know me. I don't want you to think that you know who I am. Dude, you got your act all out of place. And he grabs him by the ear and he blinds him. And Ananias comes and helps wipe away the scales. And Saul, also known as Paul, would have this divine appointment with God. And here's the beauty of that story for me. Is God didn't change Saul from who he was and his animations and his excitement and his zeal for whatever it was that he was doing. He just took that and instead of being against Jesus, he took that same zeal and excitement and he pointed it towards Jesus. So here's what I believe. I believe this wholeheartedly, that sometimes when the Lord gets a hold of us, it's not you that he's wanting to change. He just wants you to kind of put on a new set of glasses, new lenses, and he wants you to take that same zeal and fervor that you had for whatever it was, and he wants you to put that for his purposes. And that's exactly what he did. And from there on out, guess what Saul or Paul does? He preaches the good news. He went from taking people who were about Jesus and putting them in prison. He says, hey, let's go do this together. Let me tell somebody about the good news. And I'll mention him again in just a moment. But for now, let's do this, okay? Let's talk a bit about Peter. Do y'all remember who Peter was? Because that's where we're actually going to be reading in verse 32 today. Do y'all remember who Peter was? Peter's one of my favorite Bible characters for a couple reasons. Peter was, was a bit of an outlandish, outspoken, strong-willed dude right? Oftentimes he spoke before he thought. And whenever I think of characteristics like that, I don't, I don't necessarily put those together with God. Listen, here, here's how this works. I've got a three-year-old that is strong-willed. Colton, my three-year-old, is a strong-willed individual, right? He just is, and he thinks that he runs the house, and for the most part he does. But, but I don't always attach strong-willed to loving the Lord, right? And sometimes they can be in opposition to one another, But if you take somebody like Peter or Paul who is strong-willed and you get them pointed towards Jesus, you got some good things that are about to happen. And that's who Peter was. But Peter wasn't always right either, right? So here's a couple things I wrote down just to jog your memory about Peter. So in Matthew chapter 14, it's when Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. Y'all remember that? Jesus calls him and they're in this storm and and Jesus comes up kind of like a ghost and the disciples see him. And he, and, he, and he reveals himself that he's Jesus. And Peter's like, hey, 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 Jesus, can I step out of the boat too? Can I, can I come walk with you? That'd be pretty cool, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on, buddy. And he steps out on the water. And he's walking on the water. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, what happens? He begins to sink. So we see Peter with this, with this boldness and, and this courageousness, right, and this courage. But yet as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he begins to sink. That's who Peter was. What about in Matthew 16? Jesus is telling his disciples, he's giving them a glimpse about how his life is going to play out. And remember, Jesus' life does not play out like a fairy tale. He is beaten, he is mocked, he is hung on a cross. And Jesus begins to give his disciples a bit of a glimpse into that. And y'all remember what Peter does? This is in Matthew 16, before Jesus dies. He takes Jesus aside, and everybody goes on and takes Jesus aside. He's like, hey, buddy. Listen, we've been at this a little while, and I believe you in, in you as the Messiah, but, but I, think, I think you got this wrong. I think you got this wrong. I don't think you're going to have to go through this suffering. And Jesus is like, buddy, I think I know what's going to happen, right? He's like, I think I got this figured out, Peter. So, like, you get out the way. You stay in your lane, Peter. You do your deal. I'll do my deal, and we'll do this together, Right? And so Peter had it mapped out for Jesus how he thought it was going to happen, right? Like we do the same thing for our kids. Like, 
my kids might tell me what they're going to do, but as a dad, like, sometimes I got to point them in the right direction. And then I got that three-year-old that's strong-willed. He's like, no, nah, Dad, this is how I'm going to do it, right? And so I see a little bit of, of Jesus in, in my Colton and, and a little bit of Peter in my Colton and that strong will, like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I've got this figured out. But sometimes, like that, we need to have somebody look us in the eye and say, hey, buddy, let's follow the Lord, and let's, let's not follow your emotions. How about this? In John 18, Jesus is being arrested in the garden right before he goes to the crucifixion. And do y'all remember what Peter does in that garden? Before, before he denies him, like that's what, one of the things we remember about Peter. Peter draws his sword, right? Jesus is being arrested. And y'all remember what Peter does? Boom, he cuts the ear off of that soldier that's trying to arrest Jesus, right? Like he, he's already decided Jesus is not going down like this. And in fact, I'm going to help him. That's my buddy, right? And I'm going to draw my sword and boom, you better get your hands off my buddy, right? And y'all remember what Jesus does? He's like, Peter, put the sword away, buddy. People who live by the sword are going to die by the sword, but that's not how, how this is going to go down. And in fact, Jesus picks up this guy's ear and puts it back on like, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for that, right? Puts his ear back on. He's like, Peter, it's going to be okay. There's a plan and a purpose for this. And that's who Peter was. He was a bit bold. He was a bit brash. He was a bit strong-willed. And that's who Peter was. I have one more, I think, for you in Matthew 26. I wrote down that promises, Peter promises Jesus never to forsake him. In fact, as Jesus is, is trying to tell them, hey, my time has come, and, and things are about to get a little hairy, things are about to get a little, little tough around here, I just want you to know it's going to be okay. There's a plan in place. And Peter says, wherever you go, I will go. Even unto death, I got your back, Jesus. And before morning, what had Peter done? It denied him three times. Remember before the rooster crows, three times. Peter would deny him three times. And so oftentimes when we read about Peter, there were times where he was like, Lord, I got your back, I'm here. And then you would see times where Peter would kind of fall short. And if I'm being honest with you, that's what my life looks like. There are times where, man, I'm so excited to hang out with my kiddos and, and be in children's ministry. And then there's some times where I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm the right person for this job. And maybe you find yourself sometimes on a desert road trying to do what the Lord wants you to do, but, but you're just not sure where the Lord is. You're not sure why you've been called to that place. But here's the thing that I love about Peter is that the Lord always had Peter's back. Peter seemed to have the Lord's back, and at times he did and at times he didn't. But the good news is that the Lord always had Peter's back. So there will be times in our life where I feel like I've got some things figured out and I feel like I'm chasing after the Lord and I feel like I'm pointing my own kids in the direction of the Lord and there's sometimes where I just fall flat on my face, right? Where I act a fool or I do something stupid or out of place. But the good thing is, and the message I want to share with you today, at least part of the message is that the Lord always has your back, right? So you can live in that promise, right? In fact, we see a couple different times where the Lord has Peter's back, and we now start to see Peter do some pretty cool stuff. In Acts chapter 2, which, man, I've been so excited studying the book of Acts with you guys, we see that the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Remember that in Acts chapter 2? And there's like this fire, and they start speaking in different languages. And do y'all remember what Peter does? He stands up and he preaches the gospel boldly. And there are about 3,000 on that day that come to believe in who Jesus is. Right? That's the Peter that we want to remember. Right? Or how about in Acts chapter 3? Peter is at the, at the gate and he, and he reaches out and he heals the crippled man. He says, get up and walk. Right? 
And then Peter goes on and once again preaches to the crowd. And the numbers are continuing to be added daily. In Acts chapter 4, once again, Peter boldly proclaims the gospel to the Sanhedrin. Now, you've got to remember who the Sanhedrin is. These are the, the Jewish leaders that weren't exactly bought into who Jesus was. And Peter knew who he was talking to. And he said, I'm still going to stand for the Lord. And I'm going to share this message with anybody that God puts in my path. And how about in Acts chapter 5, before we get back to Acts chapter 9, now the persecution breaks out. And most of us, when we feel and see persecution, what are we going to do? We're going to back off, right? Because I don't like, listen, I'm not a confrontational person. So even with my best of friends or even at home and Katie and I are not seeing face-to-face, my my tendency is to want to back away because I just don't like confrontation. But Peter used his strong willedness and his boldness and his brashness to say, hey, I don't care what comes at me, persecution or not, I'm going to go share the word of the Lord. So that's the Peter that we like to think about. But I just wanted to remind you, Peter wasn't always like that. Sometimes Peter fell a little bit short. But even though Peter fell short of the Lord, the Lord never fell short of Peter. So here's where I want to take you today. We're in Acts chapter 9, verses 32. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. And we're going to read the first couple of verses together. This is 32 through 35. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. Now, not Ananias. Y'all remember who Ananias was? Remember Saul's conversion, and he's blind, and the Lord speaks to Ananias. He says, hey, I want you to go hang out with Saul for a little bit. You remember what Ananias does? He's like, we talking about the same Saul, right? The one that's trying to kill the believers. And he says, all right, Lord, if you're going to send me, I'm going to go. And Ananias goes, and he hangs out with Saul, and he helps wipe the scales from his face. This is a different character. This is Aeneas. He is a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take your mat. Immediately, Aeneas gets up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So there's a divine appointment set up for Peter in this town called Lydda, right? Now, if you understand here, it says that, that Peter is on this journey throughout the countryside. Now, what we understand is that Lydda is some 35 miles away from Jerusalem, right? Like, so, so for us, like 35 miles, I, I live, I mean, sorry, I live here in Stark, but I work at OCS. And so it's, I don't know, roughly 35 miles, something like that. Drive it every morning with the kiddos and go work and come back home. And like, it's no big deal, right? But what if I had to walk that 35 miles every day, right? That's a, that's a bit bigger deal. I'm going to have to have a little bit more commitment to get there every morning and get my kids there, my five kids that go with me to school. And, and it's going to take a lot of commitment to get there. And so Peter's traveling about the countryside, and guess what he's doing? He's sharing the Lord with, with people that he comes in contact with. So think about this in our lives. When we're out doing the Lord's work, would it be any stretch of the imagination to come in contact with somebody who needs the Lord? Do we have to go very far to find people who need the Lord? We don't. Right? Sometimes we think we get in our head, like I've got to go to Nicaragua or Honduras or the Dominican Republic, wherever. Wherever you've been on a mission trip, sometimes we think, man, we got, we got to travel to go be missionaries. Guess what? You can be missionaries right here. There are people that need the Lord. There are people in my house that need the Lord, me included, right? I need the Lord. So it doesn't take us to very long when we're out doing the Lord's work to be and see people that need the Lord. And so that's exactly what Peter was doing. He's like, Lord... Don't know where you want me to go, but I'll go travel the countryside, and I will look for people who need you, and I will share the good news of the gospel with them. That's exactly what he does. So he comes to this place called Lydda, right, some 35 miles outside of Jerusalem, 
and he meets a fellow named Aeneas, right? So this guy, we see that he is a paralytic and been, been bedridden for eight years. Now, I could not imagine what it would be like to go from where I am today to be bedridden for eight years. Listen, I, I just can't experience that. I've had some friends that have been in that situation. I know some folks in that situation. But it's hard for me to fathom and put myself in somebody's shoes like that. So could you imagine going from where you are today to being bedridden for the next eight years of your life? It would just be tough. Like, there's no other way to say that. It would be tough. And so Peter comes across him. And Peter had seen something similar um, as in Jesus' ministry, right? In fact, Peter had been a part of some of these miraculous healings from time to time. And Peter says, hey, buddy, hey, Aeneas, get up and walk. And immediately, Aeneas gets up. And he experiences this miracle from the Lord. But here's what's cool about what Peter does. Does Peter say, look back in that scripture, does Peter say, hey, in Peter's name, I want you to get up. Is that what he says? Look at the scripture. What does he say? In the power of Jesus Christ, my friend, get up and walk. Take your mat. Let's go. We got some work to do. And so Peter knows this. Here's one thing that's interesting about Peter. Because of his trials and his tribulation and his ups and downs, I think Peter knew that he had to rely on the Lord. Right? Sometimes we get in our head that maybe I can do this on my own. There's often times where I wake up in the morning, I think I'm being a halfway decent dad, and I think, Lord, I got this one today, you can take a break. That's foolishness, right? I do not have this figured out by any stretch of the imagination, right? Raising five kids is not easy any day, any time, right? But the days that I wake up think I got it figured out, I guarantee you I'm going to miss the mark. But whenever I wake up in the morning and I think, Lord, I need your help, I need your guidance, I need you to show me the way, that's the days when our family functions best. It still may not be perfect. In fact, we're not going to have a perfect day. But we tend to be chasing after the Lord together. And that is what gets me excited. Right? And so Peter knew. Peter realized, hey, I don't have the power to heal Aeneas. In fact, I don't have the power to heal the crippled man. I don't have the power to heal anybody. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I do. How about this? We sang a song just a second ago titled, Same God. Raise your hand if you think that the same God that healed this man, Aeneas, can heal somebody today. Somebody, somebody raise your hand. If we believe that the same power that we read about in Romans 8, 11, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in me, then I think things like this can still happen. I don't know why it doesn't happen more. I don't have that answer. But I believe wholeheartedly that the same God that rose, that gave New life to Aeneas after being bedridden for eight years is the same God that still lives today. The same God that still lives today and is looking to do miracles through you guys. But we have to understand, it's not on our power. I have no power whatsoever to heal relationships. I have no power to teach kids about Jesus. But what I do is I have the Holy Spirit that lives in me that can show them a little glimpse of what it's like to live for Jesus. And that's all I want to do. There's a song that says, listen, I don't care if they remember my legacy. All I want them to do is remember who Jesus was in me. And that's all I want to do is point people to Jesus. And we have stories like this that give us reminders. Peter knew who he was in Christ. And because he knew who he was in Christ, he was willing to take a step on faith. And he said, Aeneas, get up and walk, my friend, because of the power of Jesus Christ that is in you. That is good stuff right there. How about this? What if we go a few more verses down and let's read... Acts chapter 9, verses 36 and 38. 36 through 38. Here's what it says. In Joppa, there were some disciples. Sorry, there was a disciple named Tabitha, 
which sometimes is translated to the name of Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Listen, my friends, you and I live in a world where there's going to be constant trials and tribulations, right? Like this, this is no different than the world that you and I live in. Good people die too. And so when we think about Tabitha's legacy, Tabitha, Dorcas, same person, right? Choose whichever one you want to call her. But Tabitha had a legacy. Read back through verse 36 and 37. What was her legacy? Was she the older lady in the church that had a pretty smile and said, Leslie, I'm going to pray for you. Is that who Tabitha was? I think she probably did that. But guess what? She also took that next step and said, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. Tabitha was a doer. Tabitha wasn't just this pretty smile with the, hey, friend, I'm going to pray with you. She was the one that would come up. You got those people in your life that will come up and give that, that big frontal hug. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now, we're, we're not doing these little side hugs. That wasn't Tabitha, right? She's going to come give you a big bear hug. She's going to pick you up off your feet. She says, what can I do to help you today? Now, I don't read that in Scripture, but that, in my head, that's where I go to whenever I think about a Tabitha. And I think about some of the ladies in our church that mimic that, that have that same role, that, man, they are going to do anything in their power for you. And we have some beautiful women in this church that do that same thing. And so because of that, the people in this town, in Joppa, they loved Tabitha, right? They loved her because of what she was willing to do. She was a disciple. Read that in verse 36. It says that she was a disciple named Tabitha. Sometimes I get it in my head. Whenever I think about disciples, I think about the dudes. Tabitha wasn't no dude, but she was a disciple, right? And she loved the Lord. And she was willing to do whatever it took to show the love of the Lord. And people loved her because of that. And so could you imagine... One of those ladies in your church that are willing to do anything and everything for anybody, right? We have that old saying, they're willing to take the shirt off their back for a stranger, right? That's the type of people that we're talking about. And when she dies, can you imagine how heartbroken the people of her town would be? Just like we would be. And so they hear about the miraculous signs that are happening in the town over in Lydda, and they call for Peter. Now here's what the scripture doesn't show us, and what I don't know is clear or not. Did they call on Peter because they believed that Peter could raise her from the dead? Or maybe did they call on Peter because they believed that Peter could help them with some wisdom in their grief and their understanding of what was happening? We don't know. I do not know. Right? Did they have belief that Peter was going to come in, he was going to come into town, and he was going to raise this lady from the dead? I don't know. Because what had they done? They had already washed her body, put her in the upper room like they were preparing for a funeral. Right? But they hear about Peter, and they call on Peter, and Peter's like, let's go. Let's go see what's happening in Joppa. Let's go. Joppa's like, like, I don't know, that sounds like a cool name, right? So let's go hang out in Joppa for a little while, and let's see, let's visit with these believers. And so here's what's interesting, what happens. Let's keep reading for just a little bit, and let's read Acts 39 through 43. This will finish up the chapter for us. So Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where Tabitha would have been laid. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. So he walks into this room and people were upset and crying rightly so. And they show him the things, the good things that she had made and just sharing their life that they had experienced with Tabitha. 
and Peter sends them out of the room. I want you to see as we read through this, see if this sounds like any other story that you're familiar with. Peter sends them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. And he turned towards the dead woman and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called all the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a man named Simon who was a tanner. Y'all remember a story like that? Was Jesus ever in a place where he sends everybody out of the room and he heals a little child? Y'all remember the name Jarius by, by, by chance? Right? I wrote it down. Jarius is in, that story is one of the places you can find it is in Mark 5. And we read about the story of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. And guess who would have been there when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter? Peter would have been right there by his side. And so even though I don't know that we get a, a good idea of exactly why they called on Peter to come to Joppa, Peter comes and he sees what's happening and he says, I think I've got an idea. Now, look, I don't know if he had a prompting by the Holy Spirit. There's some things in here that I don't exactly know how, but somehow Peter knew. How about we try what Jesus did? Because what was Peter doing in his life at this time? When we hear the word Christian, anybody, anybody think what, like, what, what does it really mean to be a Christian? We're just simply reflecting the life of Christ, right? And that's all Peter's doing here. He's reflecting what he had seen the Lord do in his life. And so he sends the folks out of the room. And he gets on his knees, and he prays for Tabitha. And Tabitha comes back to life. Now, here's the hard part in this for me. It seems as though if I am in tune with the Lord, and I believe in the Lord wholeheartedly, and I have faith in the Lord, that I could go pray for people who have cancer, and people who are sick, people who have died, and I can believe, and I can pray, and I believe that the Lord can heal them. And I believe that to be true. We just agreed together that the same God and the same power that does this stuff still lives today. What I don't have an answer for is sometimes why it doesn't work out that way. Right? Was it true that every person that Peter came in contact with, that he healed, and that they were raised from the dead? That wasn't true. But in this case, it was. He sends everybody down out of the room, and he gets on his knees, and he prays, and Tabitha comes back. So here's a question I have for you. Why do you suppose it is that the Lord allowed Tabitha to come back? Do you think it was for Tabitha's sake? Now look, if I'm being honest with you guys, whenever I'm gone, like let me be gone. Because guess what? I'm going to be in heaven and I'm not really worried about this place. Like I, I might leave some loved ones behind, but you guys can come join me later. You know what I'm saying? Like let me, just let me be, right? And so I don't think it was for Tabitha's sake that Peter heals her, right? Whose sake was it for? It was for, for the believers. It was for those, for her ministry that she had started, the Lord still had a work to do through her. And guess what? Because of this miracle, look in verse 38, 39, what happens? More believers come to know the Lord because of this miracle through Peter. Because of the power of Jesus Christ and Peter, there are more believers that come to know the Lord. And so whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to do, whatever miracle he may do through you, what we cannot do is we cannot stand up and say, hey, look at me, believe in me. Right? What do we have to do? I'm going to step out of the way and look at Jesus. Like, that's what I want to do. Right? I might have been a part of that experience, 
I might have been a part of that, that physical manifestation, but the truth of the matter is I just got to be a part of it. It was Jesus Christ who was doing that in and through me. And that, when you get to experience that, man, I hope you do, right? Like I, I teach CPR uh, and first aid and, and stuff like that as, as just a little side job from time to time. And one of the things that I tell my, my folks that I get to teach that class to is, listen, I want, you, I want you to have the knowledge and the courage to be able to help when you need when somebody needs help, but, but my prayer is that you never have to do that, right? Like, I don't want you guys to be in an experience where, where you feel like somebody's life is on the line and you're over the top of them doing these compressions and, and breathing it to your mouth. That, I don't hope that for you, right? But sometimes when, when God puts us in life-changing scenarios, he gives us the ability and the power to change somebody's life, and that's the stories that are worth sharing. Right? Why do you think we have this story to share? Why do, why do we have this story to read? Because it changed people's lives. And you guys have a story to share. I don't care what your story is. I used to believe for a long time that I didn't have a story that was worth sharing. And it's got a little more interesting. When you have five kids, you tend to have some funny things to tell people. Right? But, but I thought for the longest time I didn't have a story to share because I've always been a rule follower. Like, I, I just like rules. Call me weird. I like for somebody to tell me what to do. I, it's just weird. Right? That's not, it's not my, how my kids are. It's not how my wife is. Anybody else in my life, that's not how they are. But I'm like that. Like, just tell me where my path is, and I'm on it, baby. Let's go, right? And so because of that, my life, I thought, was a little bit boring. But guess what? The Lord was working on that path all along. And so whenever I went to college, uh, let me back up a little bit. Whenever I was in high school, I had a divine appointment with the Lord, and he told me in some form or fashion that you were going to work in the ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know if I, that, that mean I needed to go to college and study his word and become a preacher. And so I decided, well, until I get it figured out, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become a pharmacist and I'll help people and I'll go do some medical missions and I thought that would be good. Well, guess what? I studied my tail off for two years and didn't get into pharmacy school and I thought that I, I had failed the Lord. I, I I don't know why I thought that. I just thought, man, Lord, I thought we had a plan. I thought we were headed in the same direction together, and, and bam, here's a big door slamming in my face. And all along the way, the Lord was preparing me for something way better. I get to teach and coach kids every day and minister the gospel to them. I get to come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and minister the gospel to kiddos here at Start Baptist Church. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that that is where the Lord would have me. But now I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And so that dream that he gave me whenever I was 18 years old, now almost 38, 20 years later, I see it coming to fruition. Sometimes we get on that desert road and we got to stay on that desert road for a while. You remember when the Israelites are led out of Egypt by Moses and they first head into the desert as they're headed to the promised land? Y'all remember what happens? They get a little off track, and what do they have to do? Spend 40 years in the desert. 40 years in the desert until they finally reach the promised land. Sometimes your desert road feels like the desert, and you're stuck there, and you're stuck there, and you're stuck there until the Lord finally reveals his plan that here is the purpose that I have for you. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. That you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has already prepared in advance for you to do. Long before I knew what I was going to do, the Lord knew what I was going to do. And he needed to prepare me for that. 
And so here I am standing before you today, hopefully, doing what the Lord wants me to do. But 20 years ago, I just knew that somehow, some way, I'd end up in the ministry. Didn't know what it would look like. Didn't know it would be in Start, Louisiana. But here I am, grateful for the opportunity to share the word of the Lord with you. So I got three questions for you as we finish up today. Number one, are your eyes open to the divine appointments that God has planned for you? Are your eyes open to the divine appointments? I'll remind you of Ephesians 2.10. God is preparing things in advance for you to do. And sometimes it takes a few dips and valleys along the way to get us ready for those mountaintops. Sometimes we've got to go through the valley to get to the mountaintop. Sometimes we've got to go through closed doors to get to where God wants us to be. So are your eyes open to those divine appointments that he has already prepared in advance for you to do? Well, what about this one? Question two I have for you. Are you prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in the Lord? I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. In Acts chapter 13, Saul and Barnabas, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, Saul and Barnabas are headed to a new place they had never been. And they're hanging out in the synagogue. And the leader of the synagogue says, hey boys, you guys are new to church. Y'all got anything good to share? And Paul stands up. Imagine he gets his belt just right. He says, as a matter of fact, I do. I got a story to tell you that you're not going to believe. And he begins to share not only scripture that they would have known, but I imagine, even though it's not written in, that, in Acts chapter 13, I bet Saul told him, told him a little bit about his own story and how the Lord grabbed him by the ear and he turned him around and his life was never the same. And so my question for you, are you living out 1 Peter 3.15? When you're called upon, are you ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in the Lord. You never know when that calling's going to be, right? But when you're called upon, be ready to give that reason. And how about this last one? Are you living out the Great Commission? In Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven, and he gathers up his disciples. Y'all remember what he tells them? He says, I want you to go out. I want you to start here in Jerusalem, and then stretch out to Judea, and go to that place called Samaria that you don't want to go. Go to your desert that you don't want to go. And then from there, you can go to the ends of the earth. He says, I want you to share the gospel. I want you to share the things that you have learned. I want you to share the good news. And then you could teach them about baptism. And you can teach them about all the things that you have learned. And guess what he says at the end of Matthew 28? Remember how we said Peter sometimes didn't have Jesus' back? But what do we say? Jesus always had Peter's back. Remember what Jesus tells his disciples at the end of the Great Commission? He says, wherever you go, what does he say? I'm right there with you. Boys, I got your back. Go share the gospel. Go share the good news. Wherever you go, be ready to give that hope. And I got your back, boys. I got your back. And so wherever we go, who can stand against us if the Lord is for us? Cool? Brother Andy's going to come back, and we're going to get ready for, for our time of invitation. And I don't know what the invitation looks like for you today, right? Maybe it's just a time of reflection on where you're at. Maybe it's a time that you want to come pray. I'll be up at the front if you want to pray. Maybe it's a time where, where you guys want to start to, to plug in here at Start Baptist Church. Listen, it's not a perfect church because guess what we're made up of? A bunch of imperfect people. But it's a place that I love dearly where my kids have been poured into by you guys and hopefully I've been able to give a little bit back to you and your kiddos. And so maybe this is time where you said, hey, I want to plug in at Start Baptist Church. Or maybe it's time to get baptized. Maybe you're like the Ethiopian and you begin to understand the word because people like Brother Jeff 
and Brother Andy and, and Brother Jeremy are sharing the word with you and your kiddos, and you begin to grasp what it means, and you say, hey, there's some water, let's get baptized, right? So maybe that's your calling on your heart that the Lord is leading. Now, I don't know what that looks like. 